Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm being joined remotely by Ellie Mistal, who uh, is, is, is he still out there in the ether? I don't recall the taste of food nor the yeah. touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark. There's nothing between me and the Trump impeachment trial. Yeah, you know, you really, um, you, you can just flip the channel and I think 90 Day Fiance or something like that is right there for you. I have watched this thing gavel to gavel. Yeah, that seems like a poor decision. It's really like there's... I mean, the senators aren't even doing that. I mean, my right eye is jumping. I feel like I have a toothache, but I can't figure... Like, it kind of changes which side of my mouth the teeth are hurting. Like, I mean, it's it's bad. It's real bad. Yeah, there's a reason I don't watch live court coverage. Yeah, there's... There's just nothing about like even these kind of fake judicial proceedings that make them viewer friendly. Not that we shouldn't have tra- open transparency if people do want to watch them. We're big fans of that. But yeah, there was no scenario in which I thought it was going to be particularly productive to watch gavel to gavel this whole thing. And the days are so long. Like I, you know, I yeah. I, I wrote about this actually at the start of the trial when uh when really once a uh, McConnell released his rules about how, I guess this will count for grinding my gears, just, <laughs> just for FYI for, yeah. for those playing along at home. But like, even when McConnell released his rules, I wrote about how they were designed to force these incredibly long days in hopes that people would lose interest, lose heart, lose hope, that all of the the words were kind of meld into like a, a Charlie Brown wah, 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 gobbledygook that it would force a lot of repetition. Like all of these things, kind of McConnell's rules themselves were designed to exhaust us. And I'm fucking exhausted. Like, oh. Yeah. I can't remember who I think it was our, uh, our old friend, like Eric Siegel from Law Professor. I think he put on Twitter that uh, this is only interesting to lawyers and political junkies, and it's not particularly interesting to either of them. Yeah, it's not. They're, they're, it's not interesting. Is not a word that I would get anywhere you know close to. Uh, <laughs> I, which isn't to say they're boring. It's just they're important. Okay, and so I am trying to cover it because I understand that it's important. I understand that a lot of other people aren't going to have just the stamina or the time. Like they have real lives to watch all of these important things. So like, that's why, you know, I'm doing it, but yeah, it's not, it's not even designed to be interesting. Um, It's designed to be weighty. And, and, and obviously the Republicans are trying very hard to make it as clownish as possible. Um, But no, it's not, it's not interesting. It's not fun. It's not, you know, intellectually stimulating. It's mind numbing, especially when the Republicans are talking yeah, and I'm not altogether sure that's not just a a factor of what it is. I, there's a reason why people don't watch lots of C-SPAN on a day-to-day basis. Uh, conversations in that chamber are boring. Uh, you add to it that it's like a court proceeding, which are 
by design, not particularly exciting. Uh, movie and television coverage of courtroom scenes, notwithstanding, they are not scintillating. And yeah, you end up with something that is designed for the purpose of engaging the public that is by its very format, and not even because of gaming it, just by the very format of proceedings like this, not going to be interesting. I think the difference, though, between this and like a, a real court proceeding is that a real court proceeding does. And this is why real court proceedings make such good TV shows in a court proceeding. There is drama. Um, is there? Well, uh, how, when's the last time you watched one? Because uh, th there isn't. Uh, and most of the time, like I, I've obviously been a lawyer in, in trials as well as a juror once. And. No, there's not really drama. No, I, I disagree. I mean, I watched uh, the last one before this that I watched any length of was a little of the uh, Botham Jean trial. And when I say drama, I mean like there is drama in the outcome. You you don't know. Oh, okay. Right. That's what I'm talking. Right. You don't know how it's all going to play out. Right. So you so you're listening to the arguments. You're trying to kind of read the tea leaves. And, oh, I think that might have been effective. Oh, I'm not sure if that landed. Um, and then you're kind of waiting for like the result which is, you know, a reveal at least, right? Like, what right. is the jury going to say? How is the judge going to rule? Like, these are these are inflection points of drama that you're driving to. And here, you don't have that because you know that the right. decision is baked in, right? Like, right. you know right. this is just talking to get to an eventual conclusion, right? It's like, it, it's it's why, you know, sports fans try not to see the score of the game if they have it on DVR, right? Like it, right. it takes a lot of the fun out of it. You know, even if you go back and it's your team and you know that, that it wins, it takes a lot of the fun out of it. If you kind of already know like what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, I could definitely hear that. And, and look, trials are very exciting when you're a participant in them, but they just aren't particularly interesting from the outside. In that way, they're much like baseball. Uh, they're interesting games to play, but for the outside, just just like paint drawing for several hours. Oh, uh, um, boo. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess if you're watching it through a camera that you're slowing down so that you can read signs, maybe that makes it more interesting. But <laughs> otherwise, I don't know how you Mets people roll, but otherwise, it's, yeah, no. So this was just, it, it was never going to be particularly engaging and scintillating, and it hasn't been. And uh, you're showing the showing the, the signs of wear and tear. I, I think there have been moments that were engaging and scintillating. Those moments were just, you know, interspersed between hours and hours and hours of Republican bullshit um, and, and some Democratic repetition, but mainly Republican bullshit. And like, there's only so much of that a human can take. And I, I feel very close to my limit. Yeah, it's almost as though everything we needed to know about this, we had already more or less known from just the process of a house, house investigation. I mean, and maybe there'll be witnesses and that will, that will be different than just rolling with the House investigations, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not. Are you, are you uh, do you believe these reports that there aren't enough votes to stop witnesses? 
Uh, no, I mean, it looks like McConnell's got, I mean, one of the interesting legal questions that I've actually been trying to do some research this morning is what happens if it's a 50-50 tie, right? Right now, right. it looks like there are three Republican votes for witnesses, which if the Democrats stay in line, would result in a 50-50 split. What happens then? Well, in a Senate, normal Senate proceeding, right. the presiding officer of the Senate, which is Vice President Mike Pence, breaks the tie. But in these proceedings, John Roberts is the presiding officer, um, and so it suggests that he would break the tie. But you can also make an argument, and I believe Roberts will make this argument because he doesn't want to have any role in this, really. He will probably make the argument that he cannot break a tie for a mere right. motion, right? The, yeah. Somebody will just be offering a motion to call witnesses. Roberts can't make break a tie for a mere motion. And if a mere motion is tied, then it fails. You would need a majority to that carry the motion. Correct. That would seem correct to me. Of course, because it's impeachment, even if Roberts believed that, the Senate could vote to empower Roberts to break ties. Um, True. But that would require – theoretically, they wouldn't do that if they already weren't interested in having him do that, right? Like, if it's a 50-50 tie already, my guess is the people who are voting against it would prefer it just die than give him the power to make it not die. I think that's right. Although you don't know if, like, uh, there's a senator that might find it to have more, because they'll probably think that Roberts will vote with them. Is there a senator that thinks it will give them more cover? Either way, right? Is there a senator that thinks that it will give them more cover to not have witnesses if Roberts is the one that says it? Or is there a senator who does want to have witnesses, doesn't want to be on the record of voting against the great and terrible Trump, but feels like if they kick the decision to Roberts, Roberts will do it. Thus, still, I mean, there, there are lots of different ins and outs. And one of the things that I've been trying to resist is what most of the media does, which is just parrot what Mitch McConnell wants them to say. Right. Like Mitch McConnell wants everybody to think that it's over. Mitch McConnell wants everybody to think that he has supreme control over his caucus and he knows the game before it's played. Well, except that's the opposite of what he did, right? Because he he's the one who told Wall Street Journal he didn't have the votes. Although why? Although did, right. did he? Why? Why? What did he want from that? Right. What he I mean, wanted I, yeah. was for Fox News to take a dump on Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, which they did. And right. perhaps that alone was why Mitch McConnell said anything to pull a Lamar Alexander or a Richard Burr or somebody like that back in line. So, you yep. never, I mean, look, my point with all of this is that kind of reading it's, it's an old matrix. Old. My God, I'm so old. It's an old matrix line um, okay. from okay, the Oracle. Boomer. Yeah. Right? Um, you can't see past the choices you don't understand. And people trying to predict what's going to happen through the black box that is Mitch McConnell, like, aren't necessarily doing, doing themselves any favors. So, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to assume that anything Mitch McConnell is saying is necessarily true, or that even if he's saying something that is true, that there's not some deeper ulterior motive behind it. The best thing for me to do, I think, is to, and for Democrats to do, is to ignore what Mitch McConnell was saying and keep pressing their points that witnesses should be called. Hmm. And we'll see what happens. You know, you're just you're just soldiering on, much like an ant, uh, because today's episode is brought to you by your ant farm, which is very mad at you. All because you've been at the office slogging through an endless doc review project. Make better decisions, keep your pet, and work smarter with Logical, e-discovery software that gets you started in minutes. 
Don't let outdated e-discovery be the hill that you die on. (laughs) Create your free account today at logiccull.com forward slash ATL. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash ATL. I like that one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we're we're starting to reach a point, though, where uh, every week at around 2.30... I take a look and go, huh, how many more animals can people keep as pets? Because um, <laughs> we're starting to reach that limit. But I, we, I, I, I we, promise to keep trying. We might have to go to like the Tippehedron um, mm. definition of pets, which, which is more, a much more expansive kind of uh, zoological definition. I mean, we've already dealt with ponies. I, we might extend to more general livestock. Uh, we've had ponies and pot-bellied pigs, maybe just more livestock uh because for some people those are pets so i feel like you haven't fully plumbed the the studio space around rodents yeah yeah that's true i i've done i've done some rodents but i but there are obviously many different kinds uh i've done the spinning the wheel joke with uh with hamsters but i guess i can figure out something else but what do others do and then, well, you know, my uh, as 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 some of you dedicated listeners know, my dog recently passed away, and we're very sad mm-hmm. about that here. Um, of course, the kids don't give a fuck, and they're oh, we're gonna get another pet. My youngest son is really like crazily into reptiles, and so there is some you know talk in the family as like a gateway drug back into opening our hearts again. We might get some kind of gecko or iguana or some shit. Oh, okay, okay. That that's good, but reptiles. Okay, I'll keep that in mind too. I'm generally against it. Sorry, me and my wife are very much against it. But we're, we're speaking of, we're not sure if we have the votes to carry right. the right. to carry the motion. That's fair. Though that's uh, that's totally fair. So, uh, what did was it that you wanted to discuss today? All right. So obviously, um, I haven't had a lot of time to read news that's not about impeachment. But Joe. Uh, that's okay because I think for our audience of high-end, well-educated, um, generally lawyers or wannabe lawyers, we need to talk about the national embarrassment that is Professor Alan Dershowitz. He, he's not. He's not had a good year. He has truly. I mean, fall from grace does not begin to describe it. First, it's it connotes a grace that perhaps was never there but but the the delta between kind of the respect that you know even grudging respect that Dershowitz was held in amongst the legal community even 10 years ago yeah so what we're seeing now is just it, the delta is so wide and it seems like this impeachment has been almost the capstone or death knell depending on which way you want to think of it of a storied legal career where where he has gone from, you know, one of the more respected, again, grudgingly criminal defense lawyers in the country to truly through this impeachment trial, a straight up mouthpiece for despotism. His argument that's being surfaced very much as we record this is the one that he made during the question and answer portion of the impeachment trial, where he argued with, you know, no artifice that any president, certainly this president, potentially any president, potentially any politician, always thinks that their reelection is in the public or national interest. 
Therefore, any type of election interference they might do or in, or general corruption they might do in furtherance of their own reelection is definitionally an issue of the state, is definitionally in the public interest, not their private interest, because their reelection is in the public interest. And therefore, you can never impugn corrupt motive to any action whatsoever that a politician or president takes on behalf of their own reelection. Yeah, it is, it, it's it a bold is a take. Straight up, Louis the Fourteenth, l'état c'est moi. This I am the state vision of presidential authority. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty astounding. I there, there are almost no words, and for this to be said again, not not in a law review article, okay, not in the East Northwestern um, um, law review of typesetting and plumbing. This was said in the well of the Senate. This was said as a defense for the current president of the United States, and it is a defense that Republicans are parroting because they're so craven. They will say anything that helps their God. It's hard to reconcile what Dershowitz is saying and what Republicans are apparently willing to go with, with any even philosophical conception of a republic bound where, where the officials are bound by the rule of law. Yeah. You know, and you say that this, uh, this is kind of a, a change or an end of a career. And certainly that's a, a opinion that, some people have, obviously. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin's old student, uh, has said in interviews with Dershowitz, he's called to question that, like, something's happened to him. He never would have said this before. And there's obviously the, you know, this impeachment trial itself has played things that Dershowitz has said in the past that would seem to run counter to his current beliefs. On the other hand, taking a step back, and, you know, I've had my issues fighting with Dershowitz. For those who are above the law readers, there was an exchange where he wrote an article answering me, and I responded and whatever in our pages years ago. He was wrong. The point is, this may not be, a lot of this stuff may not be as much of a change as some people believe. And I think you you allude to that a little bit, but I, I want to go with earlier today, Columbia professor Tim Wu made the point on Twitter that, and I'll just read the tweet exactly, and let's just say Tim went there, went to Harvard Law a while ago, so it's not, uh, you know, it's not a recent thing. When Dershowitz taught me professional ethics at Harvard, his overriding message was that there is almost no such thing as unethical conduct when it comes to zealous defense of a client. The whole semester was a prolonged exercise in self-justification for low behavior. And Boom. reading reading that is really kind of puts into perspective what you were talking about, that there's no argument so insane or so off base that you can't try to pull it off if you're you think you're helping your client. And it suggests this tweet certainly suggests that this is a trend that Dershowitz has been uh, a rabbit hole. He's been going down for a while. This is really what I want to talk to you about today, Joe, because I feel like for non-lawyers, it's almost like the uh, Giuliani thing, right? Where like for non-New Yorkers, it's like, wow, who knew Giuliani was crazy? And, and New Yorkers are like, everybody, everybody forever knew that Giuliani was crazy. Dershowitz is a little bit like that for non-lawyers. Whoa, who knew this, knew this Dershowitz guy was a loon? Lawyers, everybody, 
everybody for a while has known that Alan Dershowitz, you know, is a little bit, you know, off kilter. Um, yeah. And the off kilterness comes from exactly what Wu is talking about. His true belief, I believe, from forever, like this is not new, this is not recent, but his true core belief is that you can say anything in defense of a client. It doesn't have to be reasonable. It doesn't have to be ethical. It doesn't have to be factual. It doesn't have to be rational. If it's mouth noises that you can produce that somehow help your client, it is okay. Um, I wrote today um, in The Nation that one of the true brilliances of Dershowitz's uh, criminal defense career is that he is able through sheer bombast to make most of the cases that he's involved in about him, as opposed to the alleged criminal he is defending, <laughs> right. which is useful if you are a criminal defense attorney, because you'd much rather the jury uh, be making decisions about you and your credibility as opposed to your guilty ass's client's credibility, right? So like, this is, this is part of the trick. This is part of the show making these kinds of increasingly outrageous arguments. I think what's what's been more obvious the last again I would I would go back you know at least 5 6 years but certainly more recently what's been more kind of obvious is that the just the intellectual quality of the ridiculous argument is starting to to suffer right like the arguments that he would make 10 years ago and like if you think about the famous Klaus Van Bülow case like those were those were aggressive arguments. I mean, he argues he always argues basically like the crime doesn't exist, right? He never argues that the criminal didn't do the crime. He's always arguing that the crime itself doesn't exist. But to start there and to end up at a point where the president is a despotic king, that just shocks the conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, where do where do you kind of trace the difference, right? Like I, I put like this. I and look, I had seminars with Alan Dershowitz. I was at Harvard Law School. I liked Alan Dershowitz. I went to his office hours. I've had lunch with him. Like, you know, it's actually a little bit painful for me to be talking about him like this um, because certainly when I was in school, I didn't like him. Yeah. But I first really became aware that that maybe Dershowitz was was not the kindly old professor that I liked when he started calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. Like that. that Well, that was certainly, uh, for those who want to go back, that was the subject matter of the argument that we had in the pages of Above the Law. I made a quip that, you know, he clearly had, you know, was off, off, you know, out of his mind to do that. Uh, And he felt the need, so incensed by that, to write in our pages a response about how they really were a terrorist organization. And I um, responded that that was still not answering any of my major points, but that was the subject matter of that interaction. So, so that's kind of where I trace it to the, in my personal kind of revelation, that's where I trace to like, oh my goodness. Um, is it similar for you or, or, or were you, were you kind of onto the grift or the game a little bit before that? I, I don't know as though I was necessarily noticing it, it was more of a slow boil. I feel as though there are two factors at play here. The overzealousness and the kind of we want, you know, constant 
drive for attention and the questionable ethics that brings up the the issue that Tim Wu's talking about in his tweet. That I believe I felt all along, dating back to at least OJ era. But that's distinct, I think, from the question of some of these political beliefs that have cropped up, as we can see from those videos that have been circulating of how he held almost diametrically opposed positions in the 90s. These political shifts, it probably was around the time of his take on Black Lives Matter, although probably a little bit before because he was already defending Trump on Fox at that point. But around then is when the political side changed uh, and the idea that he would be willing to use his flexible opinions about what it means to zealously defend somebody toward that end, that is a different question that I think is very, has been very much driven in the last five or six, at most five years. I think the other thing that's worth pointing out, again, like, unlike a lot of legal commentators and pundits and whatever, I come at these things kind of very straight up from the criminal defense's side. Like, if I'm going to have a bias, I'm always going to be biased towards the criminal defense. Um, I think there's, you know, uh, Joe and I have talked about there's an overabundance of prosecutors in terms of shaping what we think the law is, in terms of just telling us what, what they think the law is. Um, yeah. that, that I think are kind of horribly biased, I think, and, and that doesn't even get into the fact that I believe prosecutors have entirely too much power in this in the system, and it's all racially biased, and you know, I've got a lot of issues with the over-prosecutorial nature of our, of our country. And so I am generally, uh, if not favorable, certainly amenable to aggressive uh, criminal defense arguments. Certainly. Uh, so I think we're going to say, like, I, I am not criticizing Alan Dershowitz or any of the Trump lawyers for mounting a zealous defense for their clients. I'm criticizing them for mounting intellectually dishonest and in some cases straight up false defenses right. for their client, right? Like yeah. that that is where the line is supposed to be. If you want to say something that you think is going to help your client get off, by all means, make your argument. But don't start lying. Yeah. Don't start lying, not just about the facts, but just don't start lying about, you know, what words mean. One, yeah. of, one, of, one of Dershowitz's What huge... the definition of is is? Is that what right. you, uh, oh, like, that like, call back to the last impeachment. Right, but, that, but that's where you start. But I'm saying that's where, to me, ethics starts getting challenged, right? Like mm-hmm. when, you, when you're being overtly intellectually dishonest about laws and facts, when you are being purposefully deceitful about the facts of your own case, that's where I start to have problems. Alan Dershowitz's argument that abuse of power does not comport with an original understanding of the impeachment clause has been rejected by the federal society. Yeah. And Joe, you know, I am not one of these people that likes to bring up the federal society even when we agree, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, I don't even, the enemy, my enemy is always my enemy when it comes to the federal society. But goddamn, even the Federal Society is out here saying Dershowitz's interpretation of high crimes and high misdemeanors is simply not true, that high misdemeanors absolutely included the idea of failure of due care, failure of loyalty, abuse of power. And so Dershowitz coming out here trying to gaslight the nation um, with a view that literally no other credible legal scholar supports 
that abuse of power is somehow not impeachable. That's where I'm just that's what I'm talking about. You've crossed the line from zealous defense to intellectual dishonesty. Yeah. The uh, Jay Seculo is is an offensive, uh, annoying man. He is making a zealous defense without lying. Pat Cipollone is lying repeatedly. But for the most part, Seculo has not lied. He's just he's just odious and wrong. So there is there is a way if you want to defend Trump on, you know, executive privilege, even though he never asserted executive privilege. I, uh, uh, OK, if you want to defend Trump on, yes, he did it. And yes, it's abuse of power, but yeah, it's not that abusive and that we shouldn't impeach him because there's like, like, all right, that's not a great argument, but fine. But don't tell me that the very concept of abuse of power was not included in the Constitution because it was and you're just wrong. And everybody says so. Yeah. Okay. You know, you don't seem as offended, but maybe if you had watched, you know, right. what, 68 hours of this crap, you also would be more offended. Right, right. I already knew that was their argument from a while ago and, you know, didn't need to hear it over and over again. Uh, I mean, look, it's. Someone needed to watch it gavel to gavel, and you have jumped on that grenade, and a grateful nation thanks you for your service. Uh, and everyone should be following him on Twitter because he's he's giving us a blow-by-blow blow of his pain by pretty much, other than this short bit where we're recording this, he's pretty much constantly giving you exactly in real time what's happening. So if you can't watch... The smart thing to do is just to be following him, and you can see it uh, while you're at work or whatever. Uh, but yes, no, I don't have that level of outrage, as I already knew that was what they were going to say. But like you were saying, it's baked in. I don't really need to get too worked up over it. I've moved on to other fights. With that said, I go, oh, look, we've actually made it to the end of the show, uh, which is relatively fast. We didn't even get to talk about the New Orleans saints and how I guess the Catholic Church believes they're real saints or anything like that. <laughs> are you are you tracking that story? No, no, dude. I'm really like... Oh, uh, so apparently uh, litigation has revealed that the archdiocese down there, the list of who were pedophile priests and who weren't, apparently email exchanges reveal that the archdiocese was running that by the New Orleans Saints to decide who really gets to count as a pedophile and not. Wow. Yeah, not quite clear why they thought the Saints should have an opinion in this, but... Drew Brees! I, I just, yeah, again, I the only argument is that they thought they were really canonized or something. But, yeah, so that, that was a, that's a story that's happening today that, you know, is also interesting uh, and a little disturbing. Malcolm Gladwell thinks that uh, Joe Paterno needs to be exonerated. Little things like I, this. I, I did see that. You know, like I basically, if it, if since I'm on Twitter right now all the time, if it pops up trending on Twitter, um, I at least be, get get to be aware that it happened. Like that's how I found out that Kobe died. Right, right, I, right. It was just it was it was trending in my thing while I was researching something about impeachment. Right. Um, so I, I am I am excited. I believe that uh, if they're look if they do call witnesses. This never ends. Um, yeah, you're but, on this for a while. But McConnell seems confident that he has the votes to to crush witnesses, and that he's going to have it all wrapped up by the Super Bowl. So if that's the case, that will be a sad day for America, but kind of a it'll be at least a good, good day for me and my wife, where because she'll have she won't be a single mother anymore, and yeah. uh, I'll be able to go back and, and look at some and of these other things. Go back and play with your iguana. 
So with all that said, thanks for listening. You should be subscribed to the show. You should give it ratings. That helps with the algorithm. You should be reading above the law, as always, as well as the nation. You should be following, as I said, Ellie, who is at LENYC uh, for his ongoing impeachment coverage. You can follow at Joseph Patrice, which is where I, you know, I think the last thing I put up was a meme about a Supreme Court case. So, uh, you know, slightly different. Uh, and you should also be listening to all the offerings of the Legal Talk Network, as well as the Jabot, which is Catherine Rubino's podcast. And with all of that said, uh, the, oh, podcast business announcement, there's unlikely an episode next week. So you're going to get a week off, unfortunately, but it is the annual Legal Week conference, which uh, we have to cover. And so we won't be able to put an episode out. But uh, we will be back the week after that, and uh, I think we have an exciting guest lined up for that, so we'll uh, you'll hear from us soon. John Roberts does not gavel out the impeachment proceeding. The gavel, he uses a paperweight. Oh, well, no, that's the um, that's the Senate. The Senate uses the uh, the what's called a feminine gavel, which is like a little basically you handhold in the center. Yeah, it's and called yeah. a feminine gavel. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, well, because the male gavel has because the, has, you know, has, uh, has the yeah, 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 no. This is um, the, we live no, in the worst fucking but that, but that, But that's always been true. The Senate has used that for a long time. Um, so, yeah. I, well, there, well, there you, go. you go. There's your random little fact of the day. Okay, that we should stop this before it gets even sillier. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.